Hello and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study here at Celebration Church as we are continuing our study through the New Testament. Welcome everybody here as well as those over at our campuses in Green or in Appleton and Stevens Point and those who watch online, small groups and uh, all over the world who watch these studies. Glad you're with us. Uh, we are in Philippians now. Uh, we've been tracing the uh, travels of Paul the Apostle. Paul does what is known as his three missionary journeys. <clears throat> On this final one now, he comes all the way back to Jerusalem, gets arrested, and they drag him off, and uh, he's in the Huskow, <laughs> waiting for a resolution to his case. The Jews have accused him of sedition and causing all kinds of problems and stuff, and he says he didn't do it, and of course we know he didn't do it, but they made up all kinds of stories about what he did. Or, uh, so now he's waiting. He's sitting there for uh, a few years, at least two years, I believe. We'll double check that, but he's sitting there for a while. And while he is there, he writes this letter back to the church in Philippi, all right? So all through Macedonia here in Greece, we got Philippi, we got Thessalonica. We'll, we'll see the letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, then all the way down to Corinth, the letter to the Corinthians, back through here, the letter to the Ephesians, all those letters, and then now he's down here. So that's where we're going to pick it up now in Philippians, the third chapter, and verse 7. Now, we uh, <laughs> looked at this last week. Uh, Paul makes this statement. Well, well first of all, actually, let's back up a little bit. <clears throat> let's start at verse 4, Philippians 3, verse 4. Paul goes through this list of credentials that uh, many people would intensely desire to have. Boy, if they had, some of you guys had this list of stuff in your life, you'd think you're really something. And uh, Christians certainly of the day would have thought this would have been really something. Uh, and uh, here's his list. He says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. I'm talking about this confidence of you know, people who are really something. He says, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. <clears throat> we just read that on Sunday, how Abraham, uh, God told Abraham, uh, when he told, gave his, changed his name to Abraham, that uh, they started circumcising the children on the eighth day, the males on the eighth day. So he was circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, he was a tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, he was a Pharisee, so he's... Highly successful. As for zeal, he persecuted the church. Everybody liked that about him, where he came from. And as far as, far as righteousness based on the law, he was faultless. All these rules, he'd never messed up. Now, how you get there, I have no idea. But he was one seriously religious dude. All right? And he had all the credentials and all that kind of stuff. But then he says in verse 7, here's the kicker. He says, whatever was gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All that stuff, all that stuff, so many people value. Oh, the education, oh, I just had the education. Oh, if I just had this. A lot of people would notice this about me. Da, da, da. He says, I got all the stuff that everybody wants. <clears throat> and he says, uh, I now consider loss. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the, of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. He freely gave them all up. All these valuable things. Why did he say? I consider them scubala, which in Greek is the crudest word for excrement you could use. Our closest word is the four-letter word that starts with S and ends with T. And, uh, and I went through that <laughs> last week with people. I actually brought a bunch of quotes <clears throat> from leading religious leaders, Christian leaders, bishops, uh, you know, some major people. Uh, and I was going to read them to you, and then I chickened out. Because, I, you know, I get enough grief for stuff I didn't mean to do, much less, you know, why go into it intentionally? Uh, and some people are just waiting for somebody to say something, so they get all offended and stuff. So I'm maturing. I'm going to move on. So I didn't read it, but you would be shocked. Shocked because they routinely used crude words that we consider today curse words. But the church did not consider them curse words. For the first of 1,500 to 1,700 years in Christianity, nobody considered words like excrement or body parts or anything else were considered curse words in any way, shape, or form. They routinely, routine, routinely used these words. The greatest <laughs> offender, but it wasn't an offense back in those days, was uh, uh, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> you know how many people don't know there was an actual Martin Luther? <laughs> 
uh, Martin Luther who started the Reformation, the Lutheran Church. Uh, it was Martin Luther who, at the time, the Catholic Church had really gotten off the tracks, and they just got so far from basic Christianity. Luther said, this is crazy. And he broke away from them, and from them came the Anabaptists and all the rest of us, and that's how we got to where we are today. And that one group of people, i.e. the Roman Catholics, don't have a monopoly on Christianity, which it was good for them, this Reformation took form, because it really jerked the slack out of them in a lot of ways. And a lot of those excesses they no longer do today. So uh, whenever one person has all, one group has all the power, it's never a good thing. So anyway, Luther was, <laughs> the number of quotes I could give you were just overwhelming, where he said really what we would consider today horribly crude things. Just to give you an example, one of the days he would react to his uh, critics, because they would write you know, their pamphlets about what a bad guy evil Luther was, and he'd, they'd hand it out everywhere, and Luther and his buddies would take him, these little tracks, use them for toilet paper, and mail them back to him. And Luther thought it was hilarious. And he just thought, well, this is great, we're getting our message across. It's like, whoa, that's a little crude, but I mean, that, they didn't think anything of that kind of stuff at all. What they considered a problem was using God's name in vain or using anything that was uh, considered holy in an unholy way. Uh, in fact, much of the, and we went through <laughs> a lot of these last week, but uh, much of the words that we consider so horrible today were not horrible at all back then. Now, I get it. In our culture, it's inappropriate to use some of these phrases, you know, in proper company and stuff. But, you know, beyond that, don't freak out about it. I'm not saying we should go around using these words openly, freely, <laughs> without thought for those who are around us. All I'm saying is, don't put it in the context of holy. Just because someone says, scubala, <laughs> oh, scubala, I dropped that. <laughs> uh, it's not unholy, all right? They're not sinning. So, oh, I don't like it. Best, I don't like words like that, because the Bible says you should only use words that minister grace to the hearers. Yeah, you know who wrote that? Mr. Scubala, right here. All right? The guy who said the word freely. You know, they just didn't think anything of it. So don't overreact or think, you know, don't be a Pharisee. You know, Paul's talking about he was a Pharisee. These were pinheads, religious pinheads during Jesus' day that Jesus could do a miracle and they'd get upset about it because they don't think he did it the right way. I don't think you should have healed that person. And today is Saturday. You don't do things on Saturday, so you shouldn't save people's lives and heal them on Saturday. They're just pinheads. Jesus called them pinheads. He called them snakes. He called them, speaking of calling people names, <laughs> read what Jesus called these people. He insulted them horribly. I mean, they crucified him for a reason. <laughs> it was like he was just minding his own business. I mean, he comes into the temple and he rebukes them, calls them snake, wash wash, wash sepulchers, uh, your graves, you're pretty on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones on the inside. He said, you work so hard to convert somebody. When you do, you make them twice the child of hell you are. I mean, he's telling them they're going to hell. They're snakes. I mean, these were the religious leaders who decided to put an end to Jesus because Jesus was very intense. Jesus was compassionate beyond anything anybody had ever seen. But Jesus was not a hippie walking around saying, peace, man. Hi, everybody. Uh. I, in fact, I hate these new movies of Jesus. I know I'm not, I shouldn't say the word hate, but I, it disgusts me. All the last several years, I got these. Every character playing Jesus watching like this. I think that wasn't Jesus, okay? And always saying something warm and fuzzy. Because whenever they do that, they always quote all the warm and fuzzy. Jesus was rather intense, seriously intense. You know, the Bible says the disciples got to the place where they were afraid to ask him any questions. Now, let me, ask you a question. let me ask you a question. How intense would you have to be before people were afraid to ask you questions? That was the Lord. You ask him. I ain't asking him nothing, man. He's, he, he's in a bad mood. He yelled at me the other day. You know. He was always snapping. He said, oh, how long am I going to be stuck with you people? Which is kind of funny because he was God and pretty much knew how long he'd be stuck with them. But I mean, he'd say it anyway. You know, just... <laughs> One day Jesus is walking along. The Bible says he got hungry. He walks up to a fig tree. There's no figs on the tree. I would think, you know, just go to another tree. No. 
He curses the tree. They come back later, things all rotted up. I, was like, I ain't asking him nothing today. Did you see the tree? <laughs> so, I mean, he was, he was pretty intense, all right? So don't make something holy. You think you got to act a certain way, and a Christian never said a word that start with S and end with a T, and all this. Yeah, really? Just relax, for heaven's sakes. If you don't want to say it, that's your own business. Again, don't run around here yelling it out loud, but, you know, I'm not encouraging crudeness. I'm just saying. This is the word he used, and Bible scholars know it, and if you search this, they're all kind of going, whoa. That's their response, whoa. If you looked at it at all, if you've studied this, if you've Googled any of this while well, I've been teaching it, they all went, whoa, what a word to use. And they said he did it on purpose, because as far as he was concerned, all this stuff that everybody else wants is nothing but a big pile of scuba. All right? So they said, by the way, uh, like I said, they consider things holy. Now, one of the filthiest curse words you could actually, <laughs> I read a book on the, the history of cursing. I found it rather interesting. But uh, uh, I can't even tell you the title because it'll freak somebody out. But uh, they said the most filthy thing you could say for the first 50, 100, 60, 700 years of Christians is by God's bones. In fact, if we were to go back in time and in the 1500s and I were to say by God's bones, everybody would... That would be the hor most horribly offensive thing. I can say it, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't even bother you when you hear it. Because that's it don't mean jack. Because we've changed what means important and what isn't important. And, but the, because they just, you don't talk about God in those ways. All right? In fact, um, you know how when you watch these movies of knights and fighting and stuff and they're trying to get different alliances and someone would swear an alliance to this king or swear an alliance to that. That's the way it was. And it was a big stinking deal because people so feared God that to swear you would join someone else, they would never break that for fear of going to hell. In fact, our very jurisprudence system whereby you come and we put you under oath comes from that time where people would swear to God. Because people might lie to you in your face. People might pull the wool over your eye. People might say, but the minute you say, do you swear to God that you're telling the truth? They freaked. Everybody freaked. Even the most deceptive. I was reading in this book how people who were doing all kinds of stuff that shouldn't be doing stuff, when they asked them that question, they'd stop. Which is very different today because people lie under oath all the time. They could care less. I swear to God, I was going to, you know, they lying through their teeth. Doesn't mean anything to them today because nobody considers the holy very important. In fact, people are more interested in scuba words than about the holy words. I mean, we're upside down. This is ridiculous. We live in a time today where the holy means nothing, but everybody's got worried about proper body parts and stuff, you know, and expressions of frustration. So, anyway, all that nonsense. So he says this word, and he means it. In the full intent. He says, I call it all scuba that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Who cares about the do's and don'ts? But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Who started all of that? Those of you who are Sunday. Abraham, thank you very much. Somebody's paying attention. Remember, Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, he had obeyed God, and that wasn't credited. Noah had obeyed God. Doesn't say who credited him to his, his righteousness. People would obey God, and God would give them very strict instructions and speak to them audibly, and angels would appear to them and tell them, and the people would just, you know, all the kind of stuff, man, I wish we could do that, right? I wish angels could do that. Why? That, that doesn't mean jack. That's no credit to you. If an angel appears to you in your house and say, do something nice for your neighbor tomorrow, Oh, you probably do it, right? Unless you're an idiot. <laughs> Don't take off an angel. <laughs> but if you just do it, much more credit to you because you're doing it by faith, because you're doing it because you believe it's the right thing to do. So Abraham comes along. God makes a promise that he would become a father someday when he was a geezer, and, uh, and he believed him. And that was faith. It wasn't about the law. It was about righteousness, and it was through faith. And then you remember Abraham, at one point, him and Sarah said, this ain't working, you know. <laughs> why don't you? Sarah says, why don't you just take my maidservant and have a baby with her? Abraham goes, oh, okay. 
And uh, so they have this child who becomes the leader of the Arab nations, which eventually become the Muslims to this very day. Muslims and Jews both, both trace their ancestry back to Abraham. They come from uh, Ishmael, and the Jews come from Isaac. The big difference is Ishmael was a result of the flesh. This was just, they took it to power in their own hands, had sex with a woman who could have sex, could have a baby, boom, here comes Ishmael. But the real blessings come from the promise. And Abraham believed God for the promise, and that's where Isaac came from. And that's where the Jewish nation, and eventually the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, comes. All of that is the result of faith. And they had lost this. Paul, we've read it, you know, many times in these letters. Paul would just get on these guys and say, guys, you don't get this. The whole law of Moses... Abraham was, what, what, 750 or 650 years before Moses ever showed up? There was no Ten Commandments. There was nothing. And then these guys got the rules, Ten Commandments and all these rules, and don't do the what to eat, what not to do. Then they made it all about that. And they figured, as long as I did that, then I'm righteous. And Paul says, no, 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 you're missing the point. The point for the rules was to keep the nation in line because these nations would corrupt themselves terribly. But it wasn't about earning your way to God because you can't earn your way to God. So he says, my righteousness comes from faith. The righteousness that comes from faith, from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to be like Jesus, he says. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. All done by faith. This is how we do this. Not that I've already attained all this, he says, or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. God got a hold of my life. Now I want to get a hold of my destiny and my purpose, which is to serve him no matter what. And he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider, my, consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, you know, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. All right. How many are not quite there yet? <laughs> you know, he says, but one thing I do. See, you know, that's where you get to say, you know, I, I'm not what I ought to be, but thank God, I'm not what I used to be. What is that? You look back to what you used to be, now you see a big change. Nice even when you keep looking forward, oh, I'm still not getting everything quite right. But look where you're coming. Look what God is doing in your life. Some of y'all were really bad people. <laughs> Some of y'all still really bad people. But anyway, uh, but have really gone forward and God has done such a miracle in your heart and your life and changed things. And wow, what a transformation. He says, so I haven't quite gotten there, but one thing I have gotten, one thing I have figured out, and this you need to pay attention to, because this is a key. This is what he figured out. Forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. He would forget. Now, he wasn't forgetting the bad or the good things. He would forget the bad things, the failures, the mistakes, the shortcomings. Forgetting what's behind, looking forward. Don't be spending your time always looking over your shoulder. And I am stunned by how many people do this. And all I can do is encourage you not to do it. There's people, there's kinds of always looking, everything is, you know, that guy did that to me once. And I, I can't be happy because somebody did this to me back there. And some, somebody ripped me off back there. And, you know, and, and I'd be okay again if it weren't for my ex-husband who did such and such 15 years ago. Or there was a boy who, who touched me inappropriately when I was 13, and it's so dis- and I'm not talking rape, I'm just talking just inappropriate, and they can't get over it. They're stunned. They're devastated for the rest of their lives. They can't function. Someone rips them off. They can't handle it anymore. I mean, there's people, I, I don't understand people like that, quite frankly, because I, I don't spend that much time looking at my past. I move on. I, honestly, I do not. There's stuff I've got to really stop and try and remember. Oh, yeah, I guess we did that. Joe and I once in a while will. Think back on some of the crazy stuff we did. That were great, wonderful things. But it's like, wow, did that really happen? Yeah, how do you know? I was there with you. Oh, yeah, that's right, it happened. Just, I mean, you know, and, and the wounds and stuff. Man, just let that stuff go. That stuff should be like a river that carries your troubles down the stream. And you'll actually have to look back to intentionally remember what happened to you that was bad. To intentionally think about it. Some of you, you don't have to think hard about what happened to you bad. Some of you have been thinking about what happened to you 10 years ago today. Still rehearsing it over and over and over. Good Lord, let it go. Stop. This stuff will suck the life out of you. 
You know, Paul wrote to the Romans, that in, in Romans 8th chapter, he said, to be uh, the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is, it brings death. And I think when we read verses like that, we think, well, yeah, that means eternal death or, death or eternal life. But, you know, I, I actually believe that it's actually literal death right here, right now. Okay, not only just, because we know we're all gonna die. We, not, and, and what I'm about to say, you need to think just really clearly on because this gets people in big trouble. Uh, so in fear and trembling, I'm gonna point this out. A lot of people, the reason they are so sick and so many bad things are not because their head is always in the toilet or always in the memory, bad, always thinking the bad memories, always rehearsing bad things, the anger, the frustrations, the unforgiveness, rehearsing it over and over again. And it literally makes you sick, physically sick. And I believe it actually shortens your life on this earth. Some of y'all are gonna kick out way earlier than God ever intended you to kick. Now, here's the thing. We're all going to kick it, all right? We're all going to die. Your body has been poisoned overwhelmingly just because of the sin of Adam. That one sin was so strong, it literally, even if you did nothing else wrong for the rest of your life, you're still gonna die. I mean, it's a poisonous, awful thing, and a result that brings sickness and all that, so I get that. So don't ever, 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 ever judge anybody else who's going through a sickness and think, well, they're probably sinning or they don't have their head in a good place. It's never your place to do that to anybody. Do you understand me? Don't you ever do that to anybody. And that's the part I'm worried, because I know Christians who do that, you know, you know, man, your, your wife's got cancer. She must have done something really wrong. Oh, good Lord. That's none of your business. And that's probably not true anyway. Because here's a woman who's struggled with stuff and has continued to live about two decades longer than anybody said she would. And she's still here and still argues with me. <laughs> Wherever she is. <laughs> because her head is in a good place. Because even in the face of the natural diseases and sickness our body will carry on, you can be breathing life into that by memorizing the scriptures, meditating on God's word, keeping your head in a good place because the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. It will breathe literal life into you, physical life into you. You want to live a long life? Think good things. Quit rehearsing all the garbage. Quit rehearsing all the bad stuff somebody did to you. Quit rehearsing what wasn't fair. Quit rehearsing that pastor ripped me off that one time. Quit rehearsing that one person did a bad thing to me. There's a, stop, stop. Some of you with your husbands and wives, man, it's, it's nothing but a constant fest of reminding of garbage. You did such and such. Yeah, well, don't forget you did that thing. Yeah, well, you did Stop. You know, that reminds, it reminds me of my parents. I can talk about them. They're both gone. <laughs> and I don't do, not do, this, do this disrespectfully. I do it for your edification, building up encouragement. Those two hated each other's guts. Horribly. It was awful. They actually got to the point we thought they were going to get a divorce. And I can't imagine how heart-wrenching divorce must be to a small child. I remember how devastating it was to me when I was in my 40s. When they thought they were going to get a divorce. I, I was stunned at how much I was stunned and shaken by it. I remember thinking, oh man, can you imagine being little going through this? And they were at it, man, and we did everything we could to keep it together. Uh, but then they both started suffering from dementia. And we would come and see them, and they were sitting there holding hands, talking nice to each other, kissing each other, because they couldn't remember they hated each other. Stop and think about that. Is that what God's going to have to do to you someday? Not that everybody who has dementia is God's punishment. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's what you got to get. It's never, ever judge that about anybody. But in a case like that, I mean, is that, is that what, that's, it's up to God what he does and what he doesn't do. And what. That's what's going to happen to happen. The only time you're going to actually be at peace and smile and be kind is when your mind goes. Is that what God has to allow to happen to you before you can? Are you listening to me? I mean, we gotta take this stuff seriously. You wanna be healthy? You wanna be blessed? You wanna really live a long life as healthy and free from sickness and disease as humanly possible? Even despite what is going to happen anyway, because your bodies, all your bodies are trying to die. At some point it hits a peak and then it's trying to die from then on. 
slowly. Hopefully very slowly. But it gets us all in the end. But you want a long life? You want days added to you? Think good thoughts. Be positive. Forget the negative stuff. Move on. Paul says, man, I forget that stuff which is behind me. And I press forward to what's ahead. Don't be constantly rehearsing the wounds of your past. Say, Pastor, I, I struggle with forgiveness. Do you know why? It's, you know how you can get over that? Quit getting upset about anything in the first place. I'm serious. Don't let stuff tick you off. And you never have to forgive anybody. The pastor says scuba. Who cares? Only in English. Ah, scuba. God bless you, Pastor. Someone says, That's, uh, uh, that usher didn't give me uh, the right thing of juice. I'll never be with that usher ever again. There's people who think like this. And they wonder why they're dying so early. So you all know people like this that are full of bitterness and anger. Their bodies are being ripped apart constantly because they're so angry and so bitter and unforgiving and they die an early death because the mind controlled by sin is death. The mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace despite the fact that we will die and we will get sick and struggle all that. You want to be walking in as much life as you can to push past through all that stuff. All right? Paul's going to be talking about this a little bit at the end of his letter. All right, so forgetting what's behind, straining to what's ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. <laughs> I love this. And if on some point you think differently, don't worry about it, God will clear it up in your head too. Which basically means, I'm right. If you disagree, hang on. God will make it clear to you. <laughs> I love this guy. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Man, if we could just get that. You know, people say, Pastor, how come you don't do deeper teaching? Because I'm just trying to get people to do the first part. Be nice. Forgive people. Don't be a jerk. You all work that out? We'll get into deeper stuff. Right. Join together in following my example. Boy, you got to be in a good place to say that, right? You want to succeed in your life? Live like I do. Live like I do. Do what I do and you'll be blessed and succeed. You know, that's, a, that's a big thing he's saying. And any leader should be able to live that kind of life. To live the kind of life that if you, I'd try as a pastor, if you would live the kind of life my wife and I live, I think you would be blessed and very happy. And Pastor Joe and Bob and all these guys, these are, supposed, these are the kinds of things. And the more you mature in Christ and you become a leader at some point, you should be able to have the kind of life that people should emulate. And if they'll emulate, emulate you, they would succeed greatly. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have as, us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Those are the other ones, the other people who are in a good place. Follow them. And then he tells about people who are not good examples. For as I have often told you before, and I'll tell you again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. What are these people like? Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, things that I can get. What about me? And I want, and I want, ah, ah, selfish people. You don't want those people as your as your examples. Oftentimes, even people in, in church leadership get caught up in this. It becomes about ego to them. And proud, oh, I'm a this, and I'm a that, and everybody gets their titles. Oh, I'm a deacon, well, I'm a this, or a president. Our citizenship is in heaven. We don't care about earthly things, he's saying. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will become like his glorious body. Someday we will have a body like the Lord Jesus has. He was a physical body that the disciples could touch, but yet it was a glorious body. He could disappear just like that. <laughs> he go right through the wall. <laughs> That's pretty cool. One minute the door's closed and all of a sudden here's Jesus. Whoa, how'd you get it here? Glorious body. Therefore, chapter four, therefore my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. It's like he's talking to his kids, right? 
because they were his kids in the Lord. He came, showed them about Christianity. They'd never heard it before. Brought them to faith in Christ, encouraged them, helped them grow in their faith. You're the ones I love. I long for my joy and my crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And then he talks to two ladies in the church. <laughs> I plead with Yodia, or however you say it, I don't know what I said. And I plead with Sintisha. <laughs> I can't say that name either. I, I'm, these two chicks in the church, please. <laughs> please, ladies, be of the same mind. Apparently, there were two women who disagreed. What a shock. <laughs> two women who didn't like each other. Two women had differences of opinion. I don't like the way you dress. Really? I wouldn't be caught dead dressed like you. There are issues. We don't know what the issues were, but my guess is they're not very different than the issues we have today. So I, I plead with you. Please stop. Stop, get along. And he says, yes, and I ask you, my true companion. Who's this? Nobody knows. For some bizarre reason, he throws us out. We don't know who he's talking to. There's theories, was it Silas? Was it the guy who was writing this down? Was it, who knows? Doesn't really matter. Just someone who gets that. I ask you, my true companion, help these women. Please help them. Since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, isn't this interesting? These women served beside Paul to advance the cause of Christ. They did the right things. They sacrificed. They advanced. They proclaimed the good news. And yet they couldn't stand each other. <laughs> they had issues. Which is very possible. You know, I know pastors who cannot stand each other. They just, they just can't, you know. And rather, than, I, I, don't even, I don't even condemn them for it. I just, you know, it is what it is. I don't, I don't know if anybody I can't stand. There's a bunch I don't like, I guess. I don't know. I just, I just don't spend time with them. <laughs> or Paul would be writing me, Mark, get along with these guys, you know. Uh, and, and so you can actually do the still love God and still struggle with people, is my point. You're going to struggle with people. I promise you, if you come to church long enough, somebody is going to tick you off. Welcome to the club. If no one has ticked you off yet, you just haven't gotten involved. <laughs> Seriously, if you're to the point, I'm not, I'm being serious. If you're to, if you can sit there and honestly say, you know, no one in this church has ever irritated me. You are not involved. You need to get involved. To the point you come to me and say, that guy's really ticking me off. I go, praise the Lord, welcome to the club. You're now an official member. We should hold back membership People are until they're irritated. And now you can become a member. It is what it is. <laughs> I was listening to a pastor who was previous. He's a Lutheran pastor. You know, and, and Jesus, you know, called his disciples his friends, right? And uh, he's preaching. He says, you know, I really love Jesus, but I uh, really can't stand his friends. <laughs> They irritate me. I mean, it was very funny. He's talking to a whole bunch of people. Everybody's laughing hysterically. He's, he was arguing for more events like Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> These are two people that so disobeyed the Lord in the church that they just dropped over dead one day. And he thought, you know, if we had more of that, I bet you people would behave themselves. <laughs> I think he's right. People are phonies and do it all of a sudden. You come to church. Everybody, whoa, I ain't saying that anymore, man. I just said, praise the Lord. I'm glad to be here, Pastor. What do you need? <laughs> All right. So you're my uh, co-workers whose names are in the book of life. What is that? What is the book of life? This is something that's reference, uh, referenced all the way back in the Old Testament, actually in uh, Psalms, Psalm 68, 69, 28. If you can punch that up, Psalm 69, 28. Let's take a look at that. May they be blotted out of the book of life. Now, this is a negative thing. <laughs> David's talking about these people who are really bad, evil people. And he prays that they would not get into the book. They'd be blotted out of the book of life. What is the book of life? When you come to God in faith, the Bible tells us that your name is written in his book. It is called the book of life. <laughs> 
you want your name in that book. All right? You want your name in that book. Say, so, well, is that a big deal? Yeah, it is. Because in Revelations, the 20th chapter, verse 15, let's look at that. Revelations 20, 15. There we go. Final Jeopardy. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, this you do not, want, do not want happening to you. So what he's describing here is the final judgment day. And it says all men and women, everybody will stand before God someday and he's going to look in his book. And whosoever's name was not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Pastor, what does that mean? Sounds bad to me. Is that a literal fire? I don't care. It sounds bad to me. I don't even like the parts where they say weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does that mean? Sounds bad to me. People arguing about what all that stuff means. I don't care. Why. I don't want any part of it. I want my name in the book. How many of y'all want your name in the book? Oh, yeah. Some of you don't care, but I do. Put my name in the book, oh, Lord. You come to that God by faith. So he references that here. These all were co-workers, even the ones who had a hard time getting along with somebody. Look, let me just say this again. There will be some people that you'll really have a hard time getting along with. My guess is just, as Paul would say, plead to get along. I mean, just be as, you know, deal with it the best you can. Some of it, the best way you can do it is try to avoid them as much as you can. And that's okay. I mean, it really is. I know we're supposed to love each other, but one way I can really love someone is not be ticked at them. <laughs> and if every time I'm around them, I get ticked, best I stay away from them. <laughs> I can love you from a distance much better than I can up close. You know, it's fine. I'm just saying, because if you think that it's all over because you can't find someone who can't, you can't stand, or you got somebody in the church that you just can't get along with, uh, just relax. It's okay. What you don't want to do is let it get out of control, lose your mind, quit the church, get all nasty, just say, Pastor, that brother comes to every 1030 service. So I'll see you next Sunday at nine. You know, and just... Avoid it as best you can. It is what it is, okay? I don't know, I don't know what it is. It just it is. All right, so final exhortations now in his letter before he moves on. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Now, this is a man whom at times life was horribly miserable. There were days, he said, I despaired of life itself. And the list of troubles he discusses sometimes of just all the awful things that would happen to him. And even at this moment, he is under house arrest. He has no control over his life. He is a prisoner of the Roman, Romans. And uh, in the midst of all this, he says, rejoice. Say it again, rejoice. Man, just learn to rejoice. In the, learn to be happy. You got to learn to be happy. How do you learn it? He's going to tell us in just a minute. Hang on. Because I'm not happy. How can I learn? I'm going to show you how. Just a minute. Let your gentleness be evident to all. As opposed to let your obnoxiousness be known to all. Or your intensity be known to all. Or you're the kind of person that always has to have your way be known to all. What we should have known to all is our gentleness. Reasonableness amongst us. That's our goal. Okay? He says, the Lord is near. I mean, these guys... They absolutely believed that when Jesus said, I'm coming back, that he was coming back at the end of the month. I mean, in the beginning, they had no idea what he's talking about. Well, now it's been, what, 30 years, 40 years at this point? I don't know what the time frame is. He still isn't here, but it's got to be near, it's got to be near. They had no idea if they would know 2,000 years later. Although I think Paul started getting a hint because, was it Thessalonians or whatever he writes, uh, talking about the end day, he says, you know, one day with the Lord is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. He probably, the Lord was probably giving him a hint. It's going to be a while. Come on, lay back and rest. <laughs> okay. Do not be anxious about anything. Whoa! How do you do that? There's some people anxious about everything. They freak out. and Now this, this I've never understood. But listen, I have my issues. I promise you. I have my temptations and sins that... Some of y'all probably never deal with, but 
if there's one area I have never wrestled with I, to much to any degree is getting anxious about things. I just don't by nature. Maybe it's because as young men, we learned not to be anxious. We learned that no matter what happens, God will show up. That was the great thing about the kind of ministry that we were involved in as, as young men. We were traveling all over the United States and Europe, all over the world, like crazy people. And we had no money. And half the time, we barely knew where we were going. <laughs> and we go from town to town to preach the gospel and do these different things. I mean, it was insane. I would never approve of any of you doing what we did. <laughs> yeah, that's what we did. And we learned that God would always show up. God would always show up. Just when you think there's no way God's going to show up, God would show up. I remember one time we were, <laughs> we were leaving Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we're going down to, was it? Fort Lauderdale? Is that where? Okay. And uh, we were driving south of Chattanooga is this place called Lookout Mountain. And uh, today Lookout Mountain, I'm pretty sure has like four lane highways and you know how they fix all that stuff. But back in the day, it was like a two lane road up this mountain. And I mean, everybody's like in first gear, barely going up. The traffic's all jammed because it's one lane of all this traffic. And, you know, squirrels and chickens are passing you by. Whoa, whoa, look out. It's taking forever to get to the top of this thing. We get to the top. And now we have the opposite experience. Going extraordinarily fast. <laughs> Coming down the hill. It's like, you're riding the brakes. You're like, ah, it's going so fast. And it's like, here's your lane, and here's death. And you're like, ah, and here's this rock. And it's like, death here, death here, stay in the middle. And I'm driving this bus. You guys were ahead of us already. You guys had the money, you rats. They all took off. They were ahead of us. We're behind. If you're ever traveling in a caravan, don't let the guy with the money stay in front. Put him in the back. So we're going, all of a sudden, smoke starts pouring out of this engine. And we can't see. This is not good. I got rocks here. I got, oh, over here. And I'm like, ah, smoke. What is going on? And I'm like, ah, trying to see through the, you know, and it's not like you can just pull over. There's rocks. And, oh. We're coming around this corner, and all of a sudden, you can see they had this little dugout thing here where, where cars could pull over, and just brought it to a stop. <laughs> Holy cow. It was my wife, my, me, and uh, what's his name from Italy? <laughs> Singer guy, Steve. Wasn't Steve uh, Hubbard? Yeah, <laughs> so he's with us. So <laughs> I get out. And there's smoke pouring out of the engine. And so we, we lift up the hood to take a look because, you know, I'm a man. Because <laughs> that was what we do. Now, I don't know anything about engines. Nothing. I don't jack. But I am a man. So stubborn, Hubbard, he knew less than I did. So we go, you know, pop the engine over, look at the engine. Like, smooth. <laughs> My wife said, what's wrong? I said, well, I don't know. So I could check the oil that I could do. So I checked the oil. There's no oil in it. Not a drop. Oh, man. Now consider this. We have no oil. We have no money. <laughs> Joe had the money. This was only conceived of on Star Trek. So there's, there's no phones. So there's nothing. So we're sitting there. Now the first thing that seems to hit you is a sense of fear. We're going to die on this mountain. You know, we're going to raise our kids up in the hills. They're going to call us Ma and Pa. And play banjo. You know, I mean, that's, that's going to be my life. What am I doing up here? We said, well, we better pray. So he held hands and prayed. He said, Lord Jesus, we pray, number one, that somebody will stop to help us. Now, that was a big deal. Because the only way you could see is, is as he went, yeah, flying past us. That means some compassionate soul would have to go all the way down, drive all the way back up, 
to get back and come and help us. So Lord, number one, send somebody back up to help us. Number two, we just pray they have some oil. Number three, we pray they'll give it to us because Joe has all the money. <laughs> and number four, and then why stop now, right? Pray somebody, he'll just give his heart to Jesus. Amen. And I'll never forget saying, I said, I said, well, it'll be a while before that prayer gets answered. <laughs> so I just went and grabbed my Bible, laid back on the back of the bus, put my feet up. No stress, because we learn. This is, this is one in a series of events. We just learn God shows up. You say, how's he going to do that? We don't even think of those words, because we didn't know. We just know he did. Wasn't too long, but all of a sudden, some guy comes pulling in. So I kick right out, and this guy says, y'all okay? You know, southern boy. Yeah, yeah, we're okay. Well, I saw y'all when I went flying down, but I thought, I'm going to go back and help them folks. So I came up around, want to make sure y'all okay? We thought, praise the Lord. He says, what's the problem? So he came over. He's a man, too, so we looked at the engine. <laughs> he says, well, what's the, what's the problem? I says, got rod of oil. He goes, oh. I said, bummers, we don't got any oil. He goes, I got a case in my trunk. I said, well, we, we don't have any money. He says, that's okay, I'll just give it to y'all. So we put five quarts of oil, took every, you know, the whole thing, five quarts. And then he gave us the rest of the case in case we had any more problems. Just gave it all to us. I said, well, anyway, y'all, y'all be good. And he's about to hop in the car. I said, whoa, wait a minute. He said, yes, sir. I said, we're Christians. He goes, yes, sir. So when this first happened, we prayed and asked God, number one, someone will come back up the mountain to help us. He goes, yes, sir. We pray they just happen to have some oil. Yes, sir. We pray he just give us the oil. Yes, sir. I said, we prayed for something else. He says, what's that? My mouth his eyes are big. What did they ask for next? I said, we pray be someone who wants to ask Jesus in his heart. I said, do you know Jesus is your savior? He goes, no, sir. I said, would you like to? He goes, yes, sir. And that was it. We knelt down on the side of that mountain, holding hands. He prayed, asked Jesus in his heart. Got up, we hugged him, hopped in his car, took off. Never saw him again. Someday we'll see him in heaven. But then you learn, and then we went on to our next catastrophe, which is just right down the road. I mean, it was one thing after another. But you start to learn. You get to the point where you start trusting God in small things. He starts showing up in bigger things. Learn to trust God in the small things. Well, it's a big thing, Lord. You know, how can I handle it? Well, start small. I honestly feel, and I've said this many times to my wife, I said, you know, I feel bad. You know what I feel bad? I feel bad for people who've never had to trust God. That everything in their life has always been under their control. They've always had everything under control. Everything's been good. They've never had any problems. They always had a good job, always had insurance. Everything's good. These are the people I feel bad for. Because when something really comes out of their control, they can't handle it. The doctor tells them they've got a disease. They collapse. Why? This is the first time in their life they've had to trust God. And that's hard. It's hard when your first thing is dealing with something like breast cancer brain cancer, you know, you've lost your job, now you're without a job, you're 55 years, the first time in your life, even as a Christian, you've had to really trust God for anything. And your plan shuts down, now you're out of the job, and you freak out. It's your first time. I, I tell you, I'm, I'm honest. Learn to trust God in small things now. Doesn't mean you gotta go out and wait for some disaster or make some disaster. Trust God in the small things. Ask God to heal your cold when you're sneezing your head off. See what he does. Ask God to turn the situation around. Turn that little situation around. Give you a break on this, break on that. Start exercising your, your faith muscles. See, if you exercise your muscles enough, you can pick up heavy things, and it's not hard. I would not know, because I don't exercise. <laughs> it's my personal issue. <laughs> but I've exercised faith, and I know what it's like. And that's why people come to us, how can you be so calm when you're looking at such big problems. Because we just think it's the God of the mountain. See? I remember what he did back there. I got more stories, I'm running out of time. Where God shows up and just did things. I mean, it has such an impact on you. 
that even when things go really bad, sometimes things go just horribly bad. You say, why, Pastor? I don't know. I wish they wouldn't. I don't like it. I don't like to even be inconvenienced. I hate it when my fries are cold. But sometimes life comes at us and we have major challenges. But if you'll learn to trust him in the small things, when the big things come, it's the same God. It's no harder for him to send somebody to turn your situation around than it was to send somebody with oil. It's no harder for God to touch my Debbie and turn her cancer around when the doctors are stunned. That shouldn't happen, but it does anyway. We're not all that shocked. Why? Well, that's the same God who sent the oil upon the tilsy. Grow your faith. Trust God for things. Now, how I got all out of that, out of that one verse, that was some pretty good preaching right there. <laughs> don't, don't. That's a good thing about being old, you see. You got a lot of stories, right? By the time I'm 82, this will be rocking, man. I'll just go, all right, I want to hear the time when I was 71. <laughs> Don't be anxious about anything, but do what? In every situation, do what? Prayer, petition, what it means asking God. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. Why would that happen? Because it says, then the God of peace, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Learn to pray. We pray because we believe prayer changes things. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, and that's what we were talking about earlier, watch what's in your head. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Keep your head full of positive things as much as you possibly can. And don't intentionally worry about things you can't control. You know, I mean, some of you have a hard time with faith, but the reality is, is you really don't have a hard time with faith. You just have a hard time with positive faith. You have a, you're really good at negative faith. Because you worry about something that hasn't happened yet. And you worry about it so intensely, you actually rehearse it in your head. This is what's going to happen. Oh, and then it's going to be awful. And then it's this. Oh, oh, no, no. Wait, wait. Cut, cut, cut. Let's reshoot the scene. It's much worse. Oh, no, that's going to happen. Oh, and all night long, you were, and you're reliving this over and over your head. And, oh, I'm pretty sad. Oh, wait, wait. Cut, cut. Let's do it again. This time, our children will be dragged off by strangers into slavery. Oh, we rehearse this horrible thing because, you know, you're, something didn't happen the way it should. And you rehearse. It's called worrying. That's what you do when you worry. You actually live something out that has not happened. Cats, don't worry. <laughs> they can't even remember where they were five minutes ago. So my cat, every time he walks in the room, is like, never been in here before. <laughs> they don't worry about anything up ahead of time. Their heads don't work that way. Dogs, squirrels, chickens, critters, they don't worry. We worry. It's called negative faith. Because when you take something and you relive it and you play it out in your head over and over and over again until it becomes more real to you than the fact nothing's happened yet. It's called negative faith. And some of y'all are experts at this. Most of us are experts at it. Don't think, I don't know how to do faith. Yes, you do. You do it very, very well. The negative kind of faith. You work out the most horrible scenario and then even when finally it doesn't happen, you're still a wreck. Right? Your kid's 15 minutes late. You've got a picture in your mind. He's on the side of the road. Buddied. Car smashing a million pieces. Critters are eating him. You know, it's horrible. I mean, you're, just, you're living all this horrible, horrible stuff and, and you're so worried and you're freaked out. And, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Ah, ah, ah. And finally your kid walks through the door and, doesn't matter. You're still upset. Why? Because you've so lived this out in your head, that's still more real to you than the fact the goofy kid is here 15 minutes late. It's called faith, but in the wrong direction. When you have real faith, you do the same thing, but in the positive direction. You actually imagine things getting better. You pray, and then you start to imagine what it's going to be like when God shows up and does your prayer. 
Oh, how good this is going to be when this thing turns around. How wonderful this is going to happen when God answers this. Oh, it's going to be so good. We're going to be so blessed. We're going to be thinking about this. Our business is going to get so much better. You live it out in your head before it's ever happened. You say, what if it never happens? Doesn't matter. Your head's in a good place. Right? And you become like Abraham, who actually believed God's promise. It became more real to him than his own circumstance. The guy's 99 years old. His wife is 90. Everything's closed for business. God says, you're going to have a baby. Abraham laughs. Sarah hears about it. She laughs. <laughs> We're talking about it on Sunday. But yet it became so real. That picture, as he was looking at the stars, and I became more real to him than the fact, this is impossible. Didn't matter. His head was in this place. It's called faith. You all know how to do this. You all know how to do faith. You just need to do it in the right direction. All right. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. That's how confident he was about his example. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. He's talking about the money they sent. Uh, indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm, I'm not saying because I'm, I'm in need. Of course there was a need. But he's not saying because he was in need. <laughs> He says, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Everybody say content. Content, see. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. Have you learned the secret? Do you know the secret? If I told you there's a secret, there's a secret. If I gave the secret to you, you could succeed in life. If you learn the secret, your frown would be turned upside down. Have you learned the secret? What is the secret? What is the secret that Paul's talking about? If you had your Bibles with you, you could actually read ahead and find out. But most of you are still waiting for the screen. All right. Let's read. He says, I've learned the secret of what? Put it up there. <laughs> Push the button. <laughs> Hello, who's back there? Scripture person. <laughs> there you go. Give my hand. I don't know who's back there. All right. I have learned the secret of what? Being content. Everybody say it again. Being content. One more time. Being content in any and every situation, whether fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Doesn't matter. I have learned the secret. I can be happy no matter what happens because I can be content. Pastor, what if your life sucks? Praise the Lord. What if you and your wife went up with nothing? It'll be like our honeymoon. <laughs> Learn to be happy with what you got. Don't always think something's got to change before you can be happy. Don't always live in the world of I'd rather be. Enjoy life. Enjoy the road you're on. It might be a dead end. Say, how will you know? When you get to the end. That's how you know. Some of you hit the dead end, you're just all, oh, I can't believe we went there. We made a mistake. We went there. Really? Relax. Check your medication. Enjoy the road. Try to go back on another road. You're going through that tunnel, that light at the end of the tunnel might be another train. Just move out of the way. Don't cry. Learn to be content. And then he says this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The most famous translation, King James Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now people often quote that verse as a victory verse. I can conquer the world because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But that's really not the context. There are wonderful victory verses if you need one. Give me a call, I'll tell you what they are. This isn't a victory verse. This is what he's saying is, I can do all, I can handle all this crappy stuff in my life. That's what he says. All the scubula. Scubula happens. We should wear t-shirts right here. Scubula happens. What do you think, Bob? Bob's staring at me like, don't do this, don't do this. Scubula happens. What? Do it what? Just doing the real thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, we can't do the real thing. That'll offend somebody. But nobody knows what scuba is. Some old lady says, what's scuba? Just nothing. Bless you, have a good day. Scuba happens, man. I can handle all the scuba in my life. Anybody experience scuba? Not just me. 
You won't even raise your hands, you sinners. Come on, raise your hand. You got some scuba hitting the fan in your life. There's scuba all over the place. Scuba on the walls, scuba on the floors. I'm going long, but I'm, I can't control myself. I'm still going. There's scuba everywhere. <laughs> I went to a dairy farm once. And uh, I didn't really know what to expect. You know, I'm a city boy. And uh, this guy's taking us along. And I, I've never seen so much poop in all my life. I mean, there's scuba everywhere. And they like it. To them, it's the smell of money. They save it. They scoop it up. They put it in piles and stuff. And then they spread it on all your food. We want to scoop it on everything around here. It's scoop of the season, praise the Lord. Every spring, scoop it hits the air around here. Like, woo! What's that? They're spreading scoop man. There was scuba there. I couldn't believe it. Never seen anything like it. I'm like, oh, and there was, I'm walking along all behind these cows all over the place on the floor. And, and then there's like globs of it on the wall. And I started figuring out how fast that has got to come out. That it hits the wall and sticks to the wall. Man, I just kept moving behind them things. I never know. Somebody's going to have an explosion. Paul says, doesn't matter about the scuba, I can handle anything because of Christ who gives me strength. All right, that's enough. We'll come back next time. Let's, let's pray quick. Thank you, O oh Lord God, for your kindness and your grace, your mercies that never end. Lord, help us to learn faith. I pray for all these people, Lord, that they would start in even the smallest of ways. Some of them are very young in their faith. Help them to trust you in some of the smallest ways so you can show up and help their faith grow into really big areas. Because Lord, if there's one thing we know, it's scuba happens. And we thank you. We can make it through in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. There's a prayer you've never heard in church before. All right. <laughs> See you later.